And Pete, come on, let's be honest. The guy's a magician. <laughs> he, he really is. He, he's a, he, he ceases to amaze me. He really does. <clears throat> um, thanks, for, uh, thanks for listening this morning and, and thanks for some feedback. A lot of people said they really didn't really understand a thing I said. <laughs> and I appreciate that feedback. And, and uh, no, it is, it's really great to be here. And, and again, I just got to tell you, Jody and I spoke together in 2000. And um, you guys would really benefit if she were up here a lot more than you will from me. But, but we, we had a cool time. It was really a neat time. We talked about relationships and growing deeper. And, and it was really, really amazing. And, and, and we did such a good job that, that we heard a story uh, about a woman can't quite remember her name, but anyway, she got up in the middle of the night and, and she went to the bathroom and anyways, she got disoriented and she ended up getting in bed with another couple. <laughs> That's no joke, honest God. I mean, it was, it was so weird, I couldn't believe it and it would be really good for you to ask Kelly Carlson about that. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly, you want to try to explain that to people? I... That actually did happen. It actually happened. She got disoriented. She couldn't remember where she came from. Got in bed and realized it was another couple. So, <clears throat> I can guarantee nothing like that's going to happen this weekend. So, <clears throat> I am, um, as you'll come to discover, I'm a bit of a loose cannon. And um, uh, you haven't seen nothing yet, I'll tell you what. But, uh, but I say to people what's, what I like about me most of all, is that I'm a great, in fact, I think I'm one of the greatest hope givers. Because people look at me and say, if Jesus can save that guy, he can save anybody. <laughs> and I'm glad. I'm glad that I can provide that. But I do love giving hope. And I, uh, I'm excited about tonight. I, I want to I dive into um, Jesus. We talked about Jesus as the inviter and that he's calling us to reach out and invite others. And and I, I wasn't able to get to a video that I hope maybe we can, at the end of this time, if we have time, switch into. But, um, but I want to talk about this whole idea of I want to be like Jesus, fearless. I want to be fearless like Jesus. Interesting question. What is the most common phrase in Scripture? The most common phrase in Scripture. It's not that we're to be more loving. Though that is truly the core of God's desire for us is that we be loving. It's not uh, about pride. It's not about pride at all. Or it's not about gaining more humility. But the most frequent command in all of Scripture, it occurs more than any other phrase in Scripture, are these two words. Fear not. Fear not. Don't be afraid. Be strong and courageous. You can trust me. Fear not, for I will be with you always. 366 times the phrase fear not, do not be afraid. Some theologians think that the reason why there's 366 is that Jesus was trying to cover a leap year. <laughs> 366 times, do not be afraid. 
Why do you think that is? Why do you think that is? Because I, I think that fear, that fear is the number one reason that keeps us from being close to God. Our fears keep us from being close to God. They keep us from being connected to God. Our fears keep us from trusting God. 366 times. And I think that fear like nothing else, fear like nothing else can keep us from allowing ourselves to get connected to this holy one that we spoke about this morning. A two-year-old girl, Kirsty, stands by the edge of the pool. Her father, myself, says, jump, jump, honey. Uh, with open arms, don't be afraid. You can trust me. I, I won't let you fall. Just jump. Jump, Kirsty, jump. She is in that moment a bundle of inner conflict because on one hand, everything inside her is screaming to say, stay put. Don't jump. The water's too deep. It's cold. It's dangerous. And she's never done it before. She doesn't even know how to swim. She doesn't even know that she doesn't know how to swim. And what if something were to go wrong? What if a bad thing happened? After all, may be thinking that it's her own little body at stake, not mine. On the other hand, it's me in the water freezing, saying, you can trust daddy, just jump. And, and I try to assure that I'm relatively trustworthy. I've never dropped her, I say. I've, I've caught you other times before you. You can just jump. But the battle is between fear and trust. And, and trust says jump, and fear says absolutely not. The truth is she can't stand on the side of the pool forever. Eventually she comes to the moment of decision. She's more than just a bundle of fears. Or is she going to have the confidence for that matter? And inside is a tiny little spark of will. This little spark of will is a spark that determines her destiny in that moment. Will she jump or will she back away? Whichever way Kirsty chooses, it will lead to some consequences if she jumps. If she chooses to jump, she'll become a little more confident in herself and definitely more confident in my abilities to catch her. She'll become more likely to take the leap the next time without all the prodding and pushing and encouraging. And the water will hold less fear for her over time if she jumps. And ultimately, she'll come to see herself as the kind of person who will not be held back by her fears. On the other hand, she can decide not to jump. She can decide not to jump, and that will also have consequences. For, for she'll lose the opportunity to discover, to discover that her father truly can be trusted. She'll be a little more inclined towards safety next time if she doesn't jump. And she'll perceive herself as the kind of person who doesn't respond bravely to challenges. She'll work harder to make sure that she avoids being faced with, faced with difficult decisions. And at that moment, she decides not to jump. And so I turn away and 
grab one of her brothers and begin to play with him and throw him. And as I do that, I hear this splash behind me. And I immediately turn around and I pull her back from up under the water and I say, give me a chance to catch you next time. Just trust me. Fear and trust. Consequences for both. But see, I believe that the reason that God says fear not is that fear can sink us faster than anything. Fear can keep us away from trusting God. Fear disrupts our faith and it's one of the greatest obstacles in our intimacy with God. Fear robs us of joy when we live a fear-filled life. It robs us of the power of living in the present moment, of living in the now. The power of what-ifs become overwhelming. What if I get sick? What if I get in an accident? I can get another car. Well, what if I lose my wallet? Well, I can get a new one. What if I lose my purse and my cell phone? Well, I can get a new one. What if I bomb in this talk tonight? Jody will be talking the rest of the weekend. <laughs> but fear, fear is a very real thing. And fear whispers to us that God isn't big enough to handle our fears. Our fears become an obstacle. And I believe that fear can get passed from generation to generation. Social scientists say that we are the most worried culture of anybody. Even though life expectancies have more than doubled in this past century. We are able to cure more diseases than ever before. No group of human beings has ever been healthier than us. And yet, there are more articles written than ever before about how to stay healthy and how not to get sick. It was interesting, a journalist, he, Bob Garfield, he tracked health articles in the Washington Post, the USA Today, and the New York Times. And he discovered that according to experts, 59 million Americans have heart disease. 33 million Americans suffer from migraines. 25 million Americans have osteoporosis. 16 million Americans struggle with obesity. 3 million Americans have cancer. And 12 million Americans have severe disorders related to brain or brain injuries or brain cancers. Now the net result of that is 543 Americans who are seriously sick, which is shocking because we live in a country of just a little over 260 million people. Our society is either doomed or somebody's double dipping. We've never been more concerned about our health, more afraid of cancers, of illness, of disease. The reality is, is that fear, fear blocks us from trusting God. It, it keeps us away from getting close to God because we're telling God essentially, my fears are greater than your abilities. My fear is greater than my ability to trust in you. 
let me ask you, this is audience involvement. Let's, let's talk about our neighbors or other people around us, but, but if we were just you know, raise some fears right now, common fears in our culture, common fears in our life, common fears for our neighbors or our spouse, let, let's speak out some of those right now. What, what are some of the things that we're most afraid of? Go ahead. I'm sorry, I didn't hear it. Okay. Yeah. Good. How about others? What what do you what again, you don't have to speak for yourself, but what a failure. Fear fear of failure. That's a big one. That's a really big one. I, I think all of us at some point can relate to that or even relate to it now. How about other fears? Growing old and growing old alone. That's a double one. Growing old and growing old alone. How about others? What are some of the things we're afraid of? Afraid of dying? No, the debt. Oh, debt. All these people on TV. Our economy, debt. Good. Others? Things that you're afraid of? Dying. Dying? Yeah. That's a real one. How about others? Other fears? Being afraid if, if my income will be sufficient enough to provide for my families. I, I wrote out a few of mine. Um, a fear of becoming insignificant. Um, fear, how, f- fear that somehow I'm damaged goods or unlovable. Um, very real one is the fear of losing a child. I, I have to say that's my greatest fear. And I know there are people in this room who have lost a child. And, and nothing could be more difficult than to overcome the loss of a child. Um, I, I, I think we're worried about and afraid of what other people think of us. And if I don't do a good enough job, then I somehow I'm not likable or lovable. We, we're worried about what others think of us. Um, when people call me pastor, <laughs> they call me rich. Because I'm afraid I might disappoint your expectations of me because I'm a person well before I'm a pastor and I'm a child of God. Being a pastor is what I, I do, but I'm called to follow Jesus and be a child of God. Uh, I'm f- afraid that I might not be fulfilled in my job. I'm afraid that my marriage is in trouble. I'm afraid that my child might be gay or lesbian or bisexual or transgender. I'm worried and afraid that my child has learning disabilities and will never catch up. I guess tonight I want to ask you, what are you honestly afraid of? What are you honestly afraid of? I think it's really important that we're able to name our fears. And I was thinking even about those of you with green name tags here, first timers, I was thinking, you know, you might even be afraid that, that I'm around all these spiritual giants of the faith, that I don't know all the songs that they seem to know. I mean, some of these people here look like they have it all together, and I'm just a first timer trying to figure out the, the culture and, and what it's like to be a family fester. Truth is, all of us in this room have one thing in common, Actually, two. 
One is we have fears. And two, we're all broken people. We're all people in the need of recovery. We're all people that are recovering from something. Recovering from our sin. We're recovering from our inability to trust God. We're all in some form of recovery. And the question becomes, what are we afraid of? And are we getting some form of treatment for the things that we need to recover from? Matthew 14, verses 22 to 23, kind of deals with just an episode and a moment, a big moment of, of fear, a big, big moment of fear. Jesus is exhausted. He's been preaching. He just got done feeding 5,000 people. Joe, can you throw that slide up there? Yeah, feeding about 5,000 people. And um, Peter and his friends, they get into a boat. Jesus let the disciples know that he needed to take some time to rest. He, he needed to get away from people. He, he needed to pray is basically what he told his disciples. immediately Jesus made the disciples get into a boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. And after he dismissed them, he went up to the mountainside by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. And during the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. And when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said. And they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I, don't be afraid. Lord, Lord, if it's you, Peter replied. Tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. And then Peter got down out of the boat. He walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and he began to sink. And he cried out, Lord, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and he caught him. Peter, you of little faith, why do you doubt me? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Peter and his friends, the disciples, get into the boat at the command of Jesus. And it's important to know that Peter felt very much at home in a boat because what? He was a fisherman. In fact, he felt safer in a boat than he did on land. The storm blows up. The boat is tormented by the waves. I spent seven months in Alaska and I was in a storm and we only had maybe 20 foot waves and I'd never been so sick in my life. I wanted to die. I was so sick. But I was in a big boat, a 60 foot boat. This is a tiny boat. This is a boat that didn't have and doesn't have the sides that the boat I was in having. 
the disciples were doing all they could with oars to keep the boat upright. And at three o'clock in the morning, they're just wanting to stay alive. They see a shadow. And the only person that could help them isn't in the boat. <laughs> He's walking toward them. Now, an outsider hearing this story might say to themselves and ask a very logical question. What's Jesus doing at three in the morning taking a walk on a lake? <clears throat> Maybe we're like the disciples in this moment. And that truly often in the storms of our lives, the waves are crashing against us, the waves of disappointment, the waves and the winds of doubt and struggle, and we so desperately want to recognize the presence of God somewhere in our life. And Matthew wants us to know that Jesus comes when we least expect him. When the disciples least expected Jesus was at three o'clock in the morning, in the fourth hour, in the middle of a storm. Peter yells out, if it's you, Lord, command me to come to you on the water. This is a story about risk-taking. This is a story about fear, but it's mostly a story about obedience. Just for a moment, put yourself in the story. Picture a violent storm, waves rolling over the boat. You're using your hands to bail water out. The wind is howling. Water splashing you in the face. Your eyes are blurry. Darkness and no Dramamine. What do you do? Do you stay in the boat? See, the boat is really the safe place in this story. The boat is the safe place. It's the most comfortable and secure spot. But in order for Peter, Peter to walk on water, in order for him to walk on water, he's got to get out of the boat. So what does he do is he gets to the side of the boat and he peels his fingers off the gunnels and one leg at a time, he goes over the side of the boat. Peter's the first human being to ever walk on water. Peter and Jesus. I can only imagine Peter smiling as he's standing on the water. And I can only imagine that Jesus is saying, wow, wow, one of my disciples actually obeyed me. It's pretty cool. Pretty cool. Peter looks Jesus in the eyes and he takes a couple of steps and suddenly he lifts his eyes off Jesus and he looks at the wind and kerplunk. Just like Kirsty. Now he's in over his head. Peter takes his eyes off Jesus. He becomes a human bobber terrified and probably asking himself, what was I thinking when I got out of that boat? Now, here's the question. Did Peter fail? Did Peter fail? See, I, I, I think he didn't fail. And yes, I think he failed. See, I, I'd say it's a no and yes response. No, Peter didn't fail, but yes, he failed. 
See, Peter had the courage to get out of the boat. There were 11 other boat sitters that never moved during the storm. And to me, they were the biggest failures. But Peter discovered two important things. He discovered that there was great glory and joy in the moment that he walked because he was empowered to do something that he couldn't do on his own. See, once you walk on water, you never forget it. Once you're empowered and once you trust God and you begin to do things that are beyond your fears, you'll never forget it. Peter knew the glory also in being lifted out of the water in a desperate moment of need. Peter learned that in his failure, Jesus was more than capable to save him. And now he has even deeper trust because Peter's learned to fix his eyes on Jesus and nothing else. Now here's, here's the key to failure. This is really important and the key to our fears. Here's the key. Failure doesn't define us, but it's how we respond to our failures that do. See, I believe God is asking each of us each of us to get into the boat. He's asking each of us to fix our eyes on him in the midst of the storms of life. And he's asking us to trust him. But getting out of the boat, getting out of the boat usually means that there's some crisis, there's some opportunity for failure, and generally there's great fear. And sometimes there's suffering out there in life. But see, there's no other way to partner with God, no other way to get close to God than to trust him in our fears. When we fail, when we fail, it's not as if Jesus won't be there to pick us up and to save us. This morning I talked about a verse in the Old Testament, my favorite verse. It's my life verse in Isaiah 43. God says this through the prophet Isaiah, do not be afraid for I have redeemed you and I have called you by name and Tim, you are mine and Derek, you're mine and Megan, you're mine. See, he's called us each by name. He tells us not to be afraid and he says when we go through deep waters, we will not drown. And when we go through fires of oppression, we will not be burned. Why? For I am the Lord your God, and I am with you, and I will never leave you in the midst of the storm. Why? Because you're precious to me, and I love you. The one thing I know for sure is that I've learned the most from the greatest failures in my life. But I do know this, that God wants us to not only identify what we're afraid of, but he wants us to look into his face and trust that he will be with us in our fear. And he wants us to take small steps into that fear and to face them. Now, I mentioned to you that there was a little two-year-old standing on the edge of a pool 
and she was going to jump in. And I want to show you a picture of a, of a 19-year-old who decided after nine months of living in South Africa that she was ready to jump, to jump in ways that scared the Baducci out of me. Her two brothers are with her, but she drew the shortest straw, so she's up first. Really? tallest bridge in the world. She wouldn't jump off the edge of a swimming pool. <laughs> Into her dad's arms when I could catch her. I'm so thankful to God I wasn't there to watch that. She did confess to her parents though that, that as she jumped, you couldn't hear the audio. She said, oh, she <laughs> on her way down. But the fact of the matter is, is that Kirstie was tethered to a cord. And we are connected to a God. A God who wants us to jump and not be afraid. Who desperately wants us to claim our fears, to own them, 
to label them, and to do our best to trust God in the midst of them and work through them. Because our fears become obstacles and barriers. They become obstacles and barriers to trusting God. Let me pray. Gracious and holy God, I, I ask that you would remind each of us that you will catch us. Remind each of us that we're to not be afraid because our fears become obstacles in our relationship to you, barriers. You want so desperately for us to know that by your supernatural power through the Holy Spirit, we can overcome the things that we're afraid of. But we need to claim them and face them. And we need to risk, to risk failure. Because we're not defined by our failures, but we're defined by how we grow from them and through them. I pray most of all that that you will help us to let go of trying to be in control of everything. Uh, that you would help us to let go of our fears and, and know that if we jump, you'll always catch us. You'll always walk with us through the storms of life. Thank you that we can depend on you. Thank you that when we fail, you'll reach down and pull us up and save us. Thank you for those around us who love us and remind us that it's okay. It's okay to fail. But it's not okay not to try. Try to trust you more. Thank you for the evening and the peace that you give us and the promise to not be afraid that you're always with us because you love us. And we're precious to you. In your holy name, amen. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strange, lead them in the light of his glory and grace. Sing it with me if you'd like. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face And the things of earth will grow strange Lead him in the light of his glory